All right, so at this time, what I'm, what I'm going to do, I'm going to introduce a good friend of mine, Dustin Gillespie. He, uh, we met, we're in uh, the doctorate program, the D-Men program over at Southeastern. Uh, I don't know why someone thought it was a good idea for some of us to continually get more education and more degrees. It, like, looking at the idea right now, it doesn't seem particularly like a will-eyes one. But anyway, that, that's where me and Dustin met, and uh, just a really good friend of mine. We've come alongside each other, I would say. God brought us into each other's lives, and, and we bounce stuff off of one another, ideas, thoughts, uh, support, help, prayer, and all kinds of stuff. So he's a good friend of mine, and, and uh, I desperately needed a few weeks off from preaching because uh, a pastor's job is more than just preparing a sermon. And, uh, and so I'm grateful for the guys who've come along uh, the last few weeks and, and helped deliver God's word and also Dustin today. So I appreciate that. Uh, just so you guys know, he grew up in Mississippi, so he's a southern boy, if that means anything to you. Uh, he's been married to Brittany for seven years. They've got four boys, four boys. So, again, another one, battle-tested, right? So he, he knows what it's like to be in the trenches. He's served in different areas of, of church life, ministry life, particularly youth ministry, been a head pastor, a lead pastor for eight years. And then last year, uh, over the last couple of years, but namely last year, was led to plant a new church, to establish a new church, uh, Redemption Fellowship over in Wallace. So about an hour, 15 hour and a half from here down I-40 going toward the beach. Uh, so that's where he's serving now in our church is helping to support their church as they're getting going. So uh, I want you guys to know that a portion of what you give actually goes to help support their ministry because they're only 10 months in. So what we ask always is for our folks to uh, pray for, for that church and, and for the ministry and for the pastor there as they're doing uh, some great work. So I'm going to pray, and then with that, Dustin will come, and he'll uh, sermonificate this morning. All right. Thank you, Lord, so much for this morning. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the gospel, Lord. I thank you for good friends. I thank you for a friend like Dustin, a brother in Christ who's a co-laborer for the gospel, Lord, and, and you're using him, you're working in him, Lord, in the lives of individuals and trying to establish a new gospel-centered church in Wallace, Lord. And I ask that you would be with him, Lord, that you would... Uh, propel him in, in, in his ministry, Lord, that you'd be with him as a father and as a husband, as a pastor, and that that church would thrive, Lord, not for the name of that church, but for your name's sake, Lord. And I, I just pray that now you would use him here in their, this roof, Lord, in a profound way in all of our hearts that are sitting in here, Lord. Your, your word says that it will never return void, Lord. It is your truth. So I ask now that by your spirit that it would be implanted into our hearts and that we would be changed for the better and that we would grow to be compassionate people just like Jesus was. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, thanks, brother. Good morning. Oh, that's terrible. Good morning. That's better. Um, I'm a, I, I, I sent a bring greetings from Redemption Fellowship. Uh, we, we are about 10 months in and um, we were uh, supposed to meet outside today and worship outside at this park, and uh, and so this little tropical storm has uh, thrown some kinks into uh, our plans there. So maybe I, my church isn't blown away by the time we get back. Um, <clears throat> I told my wife while I got, I've never been so nervous. It's been so long since um, I've been this nervous. I get nervous about every time I get ready to preach, but uh, it kind of goes away. And the only thing I can think about is is one of two things. When I was in ninth grade, every time we get ready to play football. 
uh, I, you know, we'd, we'd be stretching. And, and the thing about my friends is that when we were stretching, everybody's nervous. They talked about butterflies, and all you feel like you're just going to puke. Uh, and so hopefully I don't. And uh, it's either that or last night my, my family decided to drag me on a tilt-a-world. You know what that is? It's of the devil. You get in it, and it just spins around, and then the whole thing spins around, and all you feel like doing is puking. And so I told the guy, if you see me getting ready to hurl, just stop this thing. And uh, my six-year-old who just went to uh, class, Luke, uh, just wanted to spin it faster. And I start turning white and green, and Brittany's like, you got to stop this thing. Luke's like, no, spin it faster. Spin it faster. I'm like, son, I'm going to throw up on you. So either way, maybe this will go away in a minute. It's probably just a little bit nervous uh, being in front of some new people. Uh, but we, we do want to tell you thank you uh, on behalf of our church. Uh, we're very grateful that, that you would plug into another uh, body of believers. Uh, we are uh, trying to uh, plant a church, uh, in, or we have planted it. We're, we're trying to reach people in a, in a rural setting uh, in a small town where there's a bunch of churches, a uh, bunch of uh, small little, I don't want to call them traditional, but they are very traditional in, in their mindset. And they look a lot alike. And so a cool thing about our church and one more church plant in the area is that they don't look that way. Uh, that, that there are plenty of new different kinds of people that would never darken some of those traditional doors. And so uh, we're not against them. We're, we're for those churches also. But we, uh, we do celebrate the, the fact that uh, we're able to reach some people that maybe some of those other churches haven't had the opportunity or the ability to do so. If you got your Bibles, uh, Matthew 9. If not, it's going to be on the screen, I'm sure. Um, <coughs> I started thinking about this whole, uh, when Rick asked me a couple of weeks ago or months ago about preaching and this whole idea of compassion, uh, I sat down and, and I've listened to, I did notice that one sermon's missing on the, on the internet, it must have been Rick's, it must have been really bad, uh, but Scott, uh, Justin, and Brent, I appreciate uh, your sermons, I, I listened to those about 2 o'clock in the morning on Friday night, just kind of going through making sure that I didn't have anything you guys had said, uh, I, am, I am concerned about the fiddler crab, like what happened, is he alive or dead? Okay, he's good. All right, I just, uh, just wanted to make sure. Um, I, I think I skipped over what eventually happened to him, but uh, I, I appreciate being a part of this, and I was thinking, you know, why would Rick ask me uh, to come preach? And so there's one of two things. Uh, it's either my compassion towards him or his compassion towards me. I'll tell you what mine is for him first. We walk in the D-Men program and, and sit down, and they have assigned seats. I'm thinking, I'm a grown man. I'm like 33 years old. Don't tell me where I'm going to sit down. Well, next to Mr. Gutierrez is my name tag. Uh, and I can tell he's a Carolina fan, which that already makes me want to puke. Um, but I have to sit down beside him. I can tell nobody's talking to him. And so eventually God's like, you know, you've got to be friends with this guy. He doesn't know anybody. He's a poor, pitiful Carolina boy. Uh, and I will remind him who won the national championship this year. Uh, that would be Duke. All right. <clears throat> and then the, the other option is uh, that his compassion towards me. We had to do this presentation in our second class, and uh, every day our professor would end the class like this. We can't wait to hear what Dustin has to say on Friday afternoon. It's my favorite book. And I look up at Rick and go, I hated the book. Like, it's not going to be a good report Friday. Like, the professor, he's just so excited because it's his favorite book, and I get up Friday, man, and I just tear it apart. I rip it to shreds. I hate the book. It was the worst leadership book I've ever read in my life. The professor just looks at me and goes, I'm disappointed, and then just, just, just alters everything I've just said for the next 20 minutes and gives all the reasons he likes the book, and here's what happened. Like, I was so mad. I mean, I was, I was done with D-Men. I walked out of, the, out of the room. I went to the car, and I left Wake Forest. I was done, and I, I come to find out that later, all these guys stood up for me and told him, like, look, this is, this is not right. 
this is not cool, the, the way you did this. And so apparently Rick remembers the last presentation he was a part of and just felt a little compassion and said, you know, I'm just going to invite him and uh, let him redeem himself a little bit. But uh, m- maybe I won't blow it, and uh, maybe you won't have to leave uh, like my professor did and say, um, and I'm, I'm so disappointed in you. Matthew 9, you guys have had a pretty good time walking through this text. I'm not going to read all of it to you. I'm just going to get to where I am uh, in the text. If you're there, verse 27. Jesus went on from there, and two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes and said, It shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him through all the land. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for the sermons that have already walked through this text and just just pushing compassion uh, on our minds and on our hearts, helping us to understand, uh, God, just what it is that you did through Jesus. Uh, And just in this chapter alone, just the continual compassion uh, that you showed a, a lot of different people here. Uh, and we're just grateful that we get to look at one more part of it. And uh, Jesus, teach us more about you. Uh, teach us about your compassion, how you showed mercy to these guys, uh, and what it did uh, for these people, and uh, what it can do in us today. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. How many of you guys uh, watch soap operas? Nobody raise their hand, Rick, so you don't have to write, write anything down. How many of you guys watch TV dramas at night? Nobody watches TV. Okay, all those are soap operas. Write those names down too. All right, and so when you, ro- and you watch these TV dramas, it's very obvious that a man didn't write it, right? It's obvious that a man didn't write it because if a man wrote it, there would be three episodes to every TV show. The beginning, the middle, and the end. That's it. Guys, won't, we're, not, we're not into details. Uh, you know, if you're watching some show and it's about, you know, somebody getting back at somebody, here's what happens. The first story is we, we're introduced to what happened. The second story is how they got back at it. The third story is how they live happily ever after. That's it. A woman writes the story and what happens? It's 47 episodes, and inside those 40 epi- 47 episodes, there are four stories in the 45-minute period you're, you're, you're watching, right? How many of you guys have sat there and you're like, are they going to get to the point? And then, and then in the, for five minutes, you're into this real session, so you actually get into it, and what do they do? They change the story. They go to another storyline, then they come back. Matthew doesn't do that. Matthew is a, is a dude's dude. He writes the story. This is what happens. Boom, we're done. We're going to another one. And Matthew 9, that's what you guys have done. You've walked through a paralytic. You've walked through uh, Jarius coming. Hey, my, my daughter's de- uh, dead. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of that story, this is where the Matthew's feminine side comes in. He tells you another story inside of that and then gets to here. And so now we're, 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 we're walking through this where Jesus is. It's like Jesus goes for a walk, and he does seven or eight different things all in one time. That's a man writing the story, okay? That's, that's putting the gospel together real fast, real, real, uh, real done, and we're over with. So look at verse 27. Let's see where Jesus is in the story. Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. Notice, to, notice something that, 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 that's kind of strange to me. Two blind men start following Jesus. How do, how do they start following Jesus? Well, it's very likely that they had somebody with them. It's very likely they had a friend, someone that, that cared about them, and is walking and said, Hey, here comes Jesus. Jesus is walking in, so Jesus' fame is already there. They know who this is. They know Christ. And so here he comes, and they're like, Hey, he's getting near. They start hollering. Like, if you want somebody's attention, what do you do? You guys are in Andrew. I mean, we're, we're not in Raleigh, so you're rednecks, right? Amen? And so you just holler. You just holler at somebody. You say, hey, 
you, you, it doesn't matter how far away they are. And so they start hollering, hey, Jesus. Look at your text. Jesus went from there. Two blind men come crying out. That's the terminology for hollering, okay? Have mercy on us, son of David. And so they just keep on. And it's not likely that they didn't. They stopped with just saying it one time. Look what Jesus does in verse 28. When he entered the house, what, guess what he's doing? He just keeps walking. Like these guys are hollering. Jesus just keeps walking. So somewhere in the period of time, they follow him. And they want, they want an interaction with Jesus. They want to talk with him. And I want you to see something in this text. It says that both of these guys are blind. Both of them are probably um, helped by at least one person or somebody else. And here's the deal. Most of you probably know at least one blind person, right? Somebody in your life that's blind. But most of us don't live in, society, in, a, in a culture where there's a lot of blind people. I looked up online just to double check. There were no big blind communities in Andrew. And sometimes we'll come to a text and we'll see this. And we'll go, well, that doesn't have to do with me. That doesn't have to do with me, because I, I don't know a lot of blind people. I only know one, two blind people in my lifetime. One was a professor, and one was a guy in our church. And so I don't really know a lot of blind people, so I come to texts like this, and I think, well, is this, how does this show me compassion? Well, I'm going to change the mindset for you just a second. And I want you to think beyond just physically blind. I want you to think about people that are spiritually blind. Because if you're without Christ, you are spiritually blind. The, the, the Bible calls it you have scales on your eyes. You can't actually see the truth. You don't understand the truth. The, the truth has not actually been applied to your life. And so you don't, like when someone talks about Jesus, someone talks about the Bible, someone talks about church, you're just kind of like, I don't, I don't get it. Because you, you can't see it. And so today that's what I want us to do. I want us to think about spiritually blind people and what happens. And so I want to apply that to this text. So let's walk through it together. Verse 27, let's start again. Jesus went on from there. Two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. Here's the first thing you need to do is that blind, the blind people, the spiritually blind people, are going to follow anybody. If you think about this in your lifetime, if you know anybody that's without Christ, they will go after the, the help from wherever it will come. That if it's on the TV, they'll buy it. You know? If it's on the internet, they'll, they'll subscribe to it. If, if somebody down the street promises that they can fix their issue, they're going to go check it out. They're going to follow anybody to get their problem solved. We're talking about compassion. Who are we going to have compassion for? People who need compassion. People who are looking for that. There are people that are hurting all around us, correct? In your life, there are people all around you that have needs, that have wants, that have desires, or that are struggling. Rick was mentioning that just in the prayer, that, that are struggling, maybe even financially. And so they're looking for anything that will fix it. And they will follow almost anybody to get this problem solved. And so in this case, these guys know exactly who it is to follow. Notice the term, terminology he uses. The blind man followed him, crying out, have mercy. I'm only going to bore you with one Greek term here. Ready? Mercy in this text means this, compassion. So Jesus, have compassion on us. Have compassion on us. Look at us. Think about us. Here's the deal. I want you to, I want you to forget this one thing today. If you forget everything else I say, don't forget this. Hurting people need you to look at them. People who need compassion need you to actually see them. Not just say, yeah, I agree with somebody. There are people that are hurting around me. Not just to agree with it. I grew, up in this, I grew up in church. I've been churched all my life. Single parent home. I mean, I've been in the, in, the, in the Southern Baptist culture all of my life. My grandmother right now, if she could see me preaching without a suit and tie, would tear me up with something. She'd find something to try to whip me with. I mean, this is not cool for her, okay? And so I grow up in this, in this, this church culture that, that, that has things certain, certain ways that, that ought to be. 
And, and one of the things I've noticed when, as I've gotten older is that we agree with a lot of things. We agree they're hurting people. We agree that people need compassion. And oftentimes, what do we do? Nothing. We just agree with it. We're like, yeah, I agree with that. See, hurting people need you to actually see them and then move toward doing something. Because they're following anything that comes along. Used to be, thank God that he's removed her, but every time Oprah brought up something on TV, millions of people agreed with it. Oh, man, that's just got to be the best thing since sliced bread. That's, that's the thing we've got to listen to. That's the thing we've got to follow. Man, we've got to buy that book. We've got we to look at that TV show. We've got to look at that internet. We've got to do something. Whatever Oprah says, that's it. Thankfully, she's kind of moved off into the, to the, the sunset, apparently. I hope she stays over there. I want her to get saved, but I don't want her to come back. You know, I don't, I don't want none of that. But it's going to be something else that's going to come along, and people will follow that because they're spiritually blind. They do not know the God that you know. They do not know Christ. Just because they live in the South does not know, mean they know the God of the Bible. They know the God of the South. They know the American God. He's a lot different than the God of the Bible at times. A lot different. Let's keep going the text. Have mercy, have compassion on us. Verse 28. When he entered the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said, Yes, Lord. Now, uh, on... I'm very all over the board, so if I don't get to my scriptures, just go with me. But I am going to be on the Isaiah text for just a second. So uh, I gave them a lot of cross-references, but sometimes I'm with it and sometimes I'm not. Isaiah 6.10 puts it this way. Render the hearts of this people by sensitive, their ears dull, their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. What God's telling Isaiah to do is keep on preaching, but they're not going to hear it. Keep on preaching, they're not going to listen to it. Keep on explaining who I am. They're not with you, okay? And we don't want them to be with you, basically. Because at this point, they've heard it enough. They ought to know me. They ought to know the God of the Bible. They ought to know who it is that's redeemed Israel. They ought to know this by now. And they're blind to that. They don't see it. They they spiritually don't get it. But here's the deal. You're with people every single day that are following themselves. They're following their boss. They're following somebody's opinion. They're looking for a way to solve their issue. And here's the deal. They're not going to find it. They're not going to find it without Jesus. And here's the deal. You got him. Now, you, you might be here and you're not a Christ follower, okay? So I don't want to put you on the spot. I don't want to, like, spotlight you and say, hey, you're in the wrong here. But here's the deal. If you're not a Christ follower, this text is still going to apply to you. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But you are a Christ follower. You've got the greatest message of all time, Southern Baptist saw in your heart, okay? But you got it in your mouth. This whole stuff about, you know, just my lifestyle, that'll witness. Please speak the gospel to people. Please talk it to people. You don't have to go up with this five-point presentation where you're like, okay, I got to get through these five things, and if I don't do this, these people are not coming to Christ. Now, that's, that's crazy, okay? But you need to communicate the gospel with your life and with your words. You need to share it with people. You need to talk it out because they're following other things. Look in your text in verse 28. When he entered the house, they came up to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? The second thing that you need to see in these guys is that the blind, the spiritually blind, will follow anything, and they will try anything. They will go anywhere. They'll do anything. If you promise them this will fix your issue, what will they do? They'll try it. Like, what's it going to hurt? Everything else I've tried didn't work. 
everything else I tried, uh, maybe it worked for a minute. So, I mean, it can't hurt any more, worse than it did last time. And then if you guys watch TV preachers enough, and my wife has, has told me that I, I can't make fun of anybody uh, anymore, uh, but there is this guy that smiles a lot uh, on TV, and uh, his name is Osteen. And, uh, and so he promises a lot of things when he gets up and preaches, when he doesn't use his Bible and doesn't talk about Jesus or sin or hell or God in the form of Christ. And so when he gets up and promises all these things, and people are like, man, yeah, well, i got to try that. i got to try if I'm just If I just smile, that'll make my day better. And by Friday, I'll be better. Man, what if the world crashes on Friday? Like, what if you lose your job on Thursday night? What's the answer then? You've got to have somewhere to run. You've got to have something else to try because you're looking for another thing to, to do. And so the blind, in this case, they'll try anything. Look in verse 28. Do you believe I'm able to do this? And they said, yeah. Matthew 20, 29, very similar story. Let me read this to you. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed them. And two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly told them to be quiet. They cried out the more, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. And moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes. And immediately they regained their sight and followed him. Look at the text where it says, Do you believe I'm able to do this? And they said, Yes. The blind the spiritually blind will agree to believe and commit to things just to get the problem solved. If you would just do this for me, I will agree to it, and that will fix my issue, and I'll be good to go. Here's the deal. They believe that Jesus could do this. They were putting their faith in Jesus. may not have understood it as in saving faith. They just believed he had supernatural power, and they could, he could fix them. And they were going to put their faith in that. People will put their money the things that they think it'll help them. They'll put their lifestyle and, and they'll change it to, if it'll help them. People who need compassion, that need, need us to interact with their life, they'll do some, some pretty crazy things to fix the problem. And what happens in a lot of those cases? They're looking for the wrong thing. They'll put their faith in a drink. Man, if I could just, I'll just forget about it. You know, if, if I can smoke this, lust after this, sleep with this, buy this. Hello? Have you done any retail therapy? You know? Swipe the card, man. That'll make me feel better. I'm, I'm, I'm married to, to a beautiful woman, okay? But I go in the closet from time to time and I go, so you bought this, but it's got this tag on it. Like, when I wear my clothes, I take the tag off. Like, is this just like this new fad I'm missing? Or is it, did you just buy it and stuck it in the closet? You know, and then I get slapped and I have to just be quiet after that. But, but you know, you retail therapy, you, you do all kinds of things to fix the issue. And it doesn't fix it. It's very temporary. Now, hear me, I, I hope I'm not preaching or communicating that just because you come to Christ that everything in, in your bad life all of a sudden turns good, bright, shiny days from here on out. But here's the deal. You, you don't have an eternal problem anymore. You don't have a big gaping hole in your soul that, that's searching and trying to fill it up with something else because you've got Christ that fills that up. And you have to continuously bring Christ and preach the gospel to yourself and, and remind yourself of who you are and who you belong to and what he's done for you. And when that happens, you, that, that hole just continuously gets smaller. 
But everything doesn't get perfect just because you come to Jesus. But here's the deal. You don't have to worry about eternity anymore. I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to be honest with you. I grew up in a single-parent home, which tells you one of them checked out, right? My dad checked out when I was three, by all accounts of the age of the divorce, but my dad was checked out by the age of one. My dad was not a believer. My dad was raised by a Church of God, Presbyterian, one of the two, an Ohio pastor. From the time he was 18 months old to the time he was 18, lived in a pastor's home, was in church every Sunday, and if he wasn't, it all came down on his head when he got home. And so my dad heard the gospel from my great-grandfather. I mean, he, he knew uh, about Jesus. He can quote Bible scriptures. He can do all those things, but here's the deal. Even his son comes to Christ, and he loves the fact that I preach the gospel. And he heard me preach, man, he'd be back in the back just crying and, and just, just all excited. But here's the one thing he wouldn't do. He wouldn't give his life to Christ. And you notice that I'm speaking in past tense because in this last August, I died of a heart attack. And so when my stepmom calls to tell me about this, I'm not sitting there thinking, my dad's died, my world's ended, you know, all these other things. All I'm thinking is, Holy cow, my dad just stepped into eternity in hell. Like, my dad's not getting out of hell. Like, there's no escape from that. My dad tried everything to fill the gap in his life. I tried to show compassion to him continuously give him the gospel continuously love on him continuously explain to him hey this lifestyle you're living these things that you're choosing they don't fix how you feel on the inside they don't fix your crazy marriage they don't fix your son who is a wayward wayward child not me my brother they, they don't <laughs> sorry they don't fix any of those things my dad steps into eternity so I have some loving friends and family that, you know, come and say, well, I just convinced, you know. Because he had, he had heard me preach the, his mom's funeral the summer before. So I had some family come up to me and do some of this uh, false southern uh, loving churchified statements. Well, I'm sure that, that, that he, in those nine moments that he, he just thought about, look here, we're not in their minds. So, like, don't say those things. It doesn't help anything. I mean, it helps us like hope, just hope that he didn't that he came to Christ. But the evidence is there that it's not pro probable. It, it just probably didn't happen. That crushes me because on Father's Day I'll think about my dad. His birthday was just a couple weeks ago. I think about him. But here's the deal: I can never think about him now without thinking about his eternity. Ever. I can't do nothing about it. What I can do about it is proclaim the gospel, have compassion on people who need it. That's everybody. You see, sometimes we, we do these compassion sermons and these series, and what we do is we think about well, people at soup kitchens and homeless people. That, that's who we're dealing with. Guys, let me tell you something. The rich people in your town are spiritually blind and need Christ. And all they're doing, they may look rich, most of them are just in debt. They just got bigger credit cards than you do and bigger house payments than you do. 
And they need, they need the gospel just as much as you know that you need it because they're spiritually blind and they've tried everything to fix it. They've gone everywhere. They put their faith in all kinds of things and nothing has helped. What is it you want? You want Romans 10, 9 for them. You confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. That's where you desire and I desire for them to put their faith. That they would stop just chasing after everything else that they could possibly view, possibly put their hands on, and actually trust Christ. The spiritually blind don't know that, and the reason that they don't know that is, is, is numerous, but one is just because we haven't told them. Because we do a lot of agreeing. I agree lost people need to know the gospel. I agree. That, like, well, here's how the culture I grew up in. If we could just get them back in church. What's that do? You know, if I could just go to McDonald's, I would turn into a French fry, and I could gnaw my finger, and I'd be good to go the rest of my life. That's crazy. If we could just get them to come into church, that'll fix it. Now, I do want them here because they're going to hear the gospel. And I do want them in a place like this because they're going to get to worship and be around godly people, and those are good things, and we want them there. But, man, I want them to come to Christ. I want them to confess Christ as Lord. I want them to submit to Jesus. Man, I want them to have Christ radically do things in their lives that we cannot do. As I've gotten older in ministry, and, and I don't know that it's the seminary's fault, but I, I just don't know that I was taught this a lot in my MDiv, is that, that I don't do the saving. Like, I was convinced that I had to say the right things to get people to come to Christ. Like, I had to say it just the right way. That's very intimidating. What I found as a pastor to, to, to church members, especially people who have been members for years and never shared the gospel with anybody. So I'd come in and say, man, here's the five things we're going to say. We're going to do this program. And if you just learn these five things, they check out, man. They go to another class because they're not coming to that class. I can't remember those five things. I can't do all of that. And so you try to encourage me. We can share the gospel a little bit differently. You don't have to do it like this. You don't have to do it in this order. Sometimes we just forget that they're just right next to us. They need to hear the gospel, they need the truth, and we want them to come to Christ. Let's go on to the fourth thing. Do you believe I'm able to do this? And they said, yes, Lord, verse 29. Then he touched their eyes and said, it shall be done to you according to their fa your faith. And their eyes were open. Let me ask you something. Do you actually believe that people's eyes can be open? Like, I'm sitting here right now, I'm thinking, you know, a blind man... And Jesus walks in the door. I'm supposed to believe that because I've been in church all my life and I've known Jesus since I was eight and, 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 I'm, and I'm seminary trained and I'm supposed to be a pastor. I'm still supposed to believe that. Here's what I'm doing. Man, that was a cool story, but uh, i never seen that happen. And I know good and well that that's going on in my mind. That's definitely going in somebody's mind who's not saved, who doesn't believe in Christ and has not, not walked with Jesus. But here's the deal. What I do know Maybe that's a little far-fetched story. We don't need to walk in and say, hey, God can make you take you from blindness to sight. But what I do know he can do is take somebody's hard heart who's rotten and selfish and prideful and just seeking self and can radically change them by the power of the gospel. You know how I know that? Because if I were to ask how many of you are saved, some of you raise your hand, you're Christians, you're Christ followers, whatever term that, that's most, com most comfortable for you. And then I were to say, okay, we're going to take these two TV screens and we're going to put all your sins on the TV screens, one at a time. You're going to stand up here, we're going we're to scroll them. 
Everybody in here on the inside, everybody in here might have a good poker face, but on the inside they're going to go, they did that? That's how I know that, that, that God can take the spiritually rotten and make you spiritually alive. And some of the most hideous things that you would never want anybody else to know in the entire world, God can erase that and make you a new person. So I know that God is completely capable of taking your spiritually blind and making you spiritually ability, able to see. I know that. I've seen it with my own eyes. Listen to Isaiah 35.5. To become more and more true, this, this is what we want to see, then, then, then they, their eyes, I don't know what term I, what, what use I used here, then they, they, they will, their eyes will be open. Yes, that's, that's how I messed it up. Then their eyes will be open, the blind will be, blind will be able to see. My notes are terrible. Maybe it was on the screen. There, let's do that one. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Don't you want that for people? I mean, spiritually blind are the people that you're walking with every day. You're going to class with them. You're sitting in, in uh, uh, a coffee shop with them. You're going to work with them. They have no vision of Christ. They have no vision of life can be completely and radically different with God. They don't see that. They're not thinking that way. Now, the Holy Spirit might be already working there. That's the cool thing about it. And some of you have horror stories. When you tried to share the gospel, they're like, no way. When I was a summer missionary in Arizona back in 1999, um, the Southern Baptists, uh, they're not as good as the Mormons at this, and I'll explain this why. Because the, Mormon, the Mormons, they, they get dropped off in the middle of Arizona. They get a bicycle. They gave me Pat and Charlie and a bottle of water, you know. And it's like, here, we'll be back in three hours. So I'm walking like two miles between each house. And so I get this one house, and I'm like, my partner, I said, uh, dude, this, this is your house, man. I, I've talked to the last five places. This is your place. He gets two steps in, and you hear, click, click. You can leave now. You've got those kind of horror stories, but then you've got the stories where the Holy Spirit's already been doing something. They've been listening to Christian radio, or they've picked up this random book their great-grandmother had that was a Pilgrim's Progress, or something, and God's already been using some kind of tool. You start sharing the gospel, they start crying. You're like, man, this is the easiest thing ever. Like, how did this happen? Because you weren't doing it. The Holy Spirit was already working. You just were obedient, and then, man, boom, it happened. You're like, man, I can do this every way, every day. And then, then maybe the excitement and you start sharing it more because spiritually dead people are walking next to you every single day. They cannot see the truth. Number five. Look in your text, verse 29. And he touched their eyes and it shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened and Jesus sternly warned them. See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout all the land. The blind don't always listen, do they? Obviously, they're not listening to God if God's working in their life now, if they're searching after something else. But they, they've actually come to Christ, and so in this moment, they've been healed, and so they, they, don't, they don't respond correctly. And you say, well, why, why would Jesus say, hey, don't go tell nobody, and they went and did it? Well, he tells them for a couple of different reasons we think. Uh, we don't have any clear reasoning, but let's just go with what we think it is. One is that he's in the area of Capernaum. He's done enough, he's done enough ministry. He's done enough things where people can see that there's enough healing going on and people just aren't believing it. They're not, they're not becoming Christ followers. Cool thing about some of these stories it, that it doesn't just end with the healing. It says that after that it says, and then they followed him. Those are awesome stories. You know, just like when he, when he looks at Matthew in chapter 9, he says, hey, follow me. That's the, that's the conversation. What does he do? 
He follows them, and then next thing you know, they're eating steak. I mean, it's just it's an awesome story. And so we've got those stories, and we've got the other stories, such as he feeds the 5,000, Jesus gets in a boat, goes across the other side. The people, like, wake up because they spent the night after they had this big meal. They're like, where's Jesus? And so they go around the lake, and they're like, hey, Jesus. They're like, you guys didn't come over here for me. You came over here because you want breakfast. And so if you want breakfast, here, here's your breakfast. You're going to eat my flesh, drink my blood. They're like, no thanks. And they're out of there because they don't want to be Christ followers. They don't want to be disciples. They don't want to hear anything beyond fix my physical need. Here's the deal. You cannot use bad experiences to change the way you show compassion. So let's say you've got a neighbor and you've mowed their yard. They've never told you thank you, but they need their yard mowed, and they've never told you thank you. Do you continue to do it? My son, the other day, we were at the beach. People were driving, sitting on the front porch. You know, you go to the beach, and you, all, everybody's porches that are right there by the road. And so what's my son learned? He does this. He does this every time. I, I wish he'd have been around my granddad. My granddad died back in, like, 2000. My granddad drove the car like this, and this is how he waved at everybody. And he used to always wonder, like, why does he do that? And everybody else is doing the same. They're doing this, you know. I think, why, why are they doing it? Just, and my son asked me the other day, he said, Daddy, I'll wave at some of these people. They, they don't wave back. I said, you keep on waving. He said, why? They're not waving back. Not, they don't like me or something. I said, because it's not about their response to the person. It's about what you've been called to do. And so here's the deal. Would you show compassion to somebody that never tells you thank you? Would you show compassion to somebody that, that, that just doesn't respond back in compassion for you? I struggle with that. Look here, I'm an only child. I don't play well, okay? And I don't share well either. And I struggle with when and I'm playing on a team and a team does something, I'm like, <laughs> y'all did that because I was on this team? I mean, I don't know what y'all are talking about. It's because of me. I mean, because I, that's who I am, and it's, it's a rottenness inside of me that God has to continuously change in me. But I want to be able to show compassion and love on people and see people visibly and say, you know what, they need Christ just as much as I do. They're probably lost, and I want to be broken for them. Let me tell you something. I live in a town... And I live amongst a group of people that don't like me. And that's hard, you know? They don't like that there's a new church plant. They, or maybe they've had interaction with me and they just, they just don't like me. They've heard me preach and they, they don't like it. They, they don't like to hear the truth. I had, I had one lady really do say this to me. She's like, I just don't like you. And it, and it didn't have an issue with it. And, and I went back to the previous comment she had made a few months later earlier i just don't know if i'm really a christ follower or not i think i'm just okay with just believing in him really that's where you stand that makes me feel a little bit better now that you told me you didn't like me but it doesn't fix the issue and so when you when you've got those things going on and you're like at t-ball practice y'all i coach two t-ball teams okay and and i love it i mean it, and it it's exciting but i literally last year had this happen to me I had this woman coming across the, across the ball field. I could tell that she was, horns were coming out, red face steam, and she was coming over, and she, she said, I need to talk to you. And we were giving out the trophies, you know? Like, you know, you give out the trophies for everybody, even if they struck out all year long, you still get a trophy. Don't really understand that, but, you know, we're going to give them out anyway, and so my, the kids are all excited, and I've got these parents, and let me tell you something, I've got parents that, that, that don't know Christ, they're not church, they're, they don't go to anything to do with church and and so i've got all them hanging out and so they're all excited they've helped me coach and and so we're in this situation this lady comes over she's like i just want to talk to you i said all right 
And my wife notices her walking across the, the, the uh, place towards me and, and so starts to move towards me. And all of a sudden, one of the parents who hasn't spoken a word all summer long walks up to my wife and starts talking to stop her from coming over to hear what this lady had to say. Now, I'm not going to repeat everything this lady had to say because it wouldn't be very Jesus-like, and, uh, but it wasn't very nice. And I was thinking, man, I'm sick and tired of showing compassion to people. I'm sick and tired of being nice. I'm t- I, you know, I'm just going to go back to being a jerk. I'm going to be a jerk, Christian. God, you've got to approve that. I'm just going to be a jerk from now on. Here's what happened. She gets done blessing me in the Lord, okay? And I turn around, and here's what happened. A lady who I do, I do know does not walk with Jesus, goes to church occasionally, says, can I, can I just say one thing about this guy? And man just praises me. Now, I don't tell you that so you would praise me. I'm like about to cry because I'm thinking, wait a minute. I just got, you know, and then over here you're like, what in the world's going on? And then, and then so I'm like, okay, God, I'm good with it. I'm good. And then just to keep me in check, I go to the nursing home and get kicked out. I mean, like 30 minutes later, go to the nursing home, lady dies, and the family starts screaming at me, get out of here. I'm thinking, God, wait a minute. I'm pouring my life into these people. I'm sick of this. I'm done. Wait a minute, Dustin. So uh, when I'm hanging on the cross and uh, you're living in sin, like that's, that's cool. You just kind of think I should have just jumped off the cross and said that's it. Good point. So would you show compassion to people even when they completely reject you? And even if they completely did it again and again, and even if there was nobody to praise you, even if nobody noticed anything good you did, Two major things Jesus does in this text, and let's look at those and we'll be done. Most of the things that happened here were, were by these guys, but Jesus does two major things in this text. I want you to see them. Verse 29. Did he touch their eyes? Sorry. And it shall be done according to your faith. I like the, the cool things about what Jesus does throughout the Gospels is that one moment he heals somebody by saying, hey, get up and walk. I actually started out with saying your sins are forgiven, and they didn't like that, so they said, well, get up and walk. And so it's, it's really cool when Jesus does that because it just kind of gives me that a divine moment, like, yeah, Jesus, man, he just spoke it, and they did it. And then there's times they're like, you know what? I'm just going to touch you. Now, I understand we live in a culture that's a little bit too weird about touching, okay? But I want you to take your mind out of that world and just come into real world, especially in, your, in the South. We shake hands, you know? Or as the good movie says, man, brothers don't shake hands, brothers hug, you know? And so you, you got to be able to, to hug somebody and it not be wrong. Would you do that? Like, do people know you because you shake their hand, because you give them the hug? I mean, I was a, a, in youth ministry for 10 years. We, we, when, when it, we would go to camp, you know, all, everybody's coming to the front crying, you know? And, and, and sometimes it's because the Holy Spirit is doing something, and sometimes it's because their best friends are all crying, so they think they all need to run to the altar. And so we're well-trained in preparing for this hug that doesn't need to happen. So they're like, whoa, they're doing this right here. And you stick this hand out, show you all a little move you do in the invitation. And right about the time they grab it, they'll grab that hand. You've got to keep it way out there. And right about that time, you take your hand and go around their shoulder and spin them around real fast. And you get the Holy Spirit really in them, and then you send them to their knees. That way they don't, they don't like doing this big grass pug. But here's the deal. Some people just need you to hug them. How many wives in here, if I just... If I just put your husbands on the spot right now, said, 
your husband just hugged you. That'd be good. He didn't, he didn't have to say anything to you, he just gave you a hug. Walked in the house, just gave you a hug. I guarantee you, 90% of the women in here are good with that. 10%, I don't know, dude, you need to take a bath or something. I don't know what the problem is. But you, there, it, there's something about the touch. When, when my children, they, they look at me, but man, when I hold them, or for my boys, when we wrestle, that means everything to them. And in this society, from the Bible... Blind man, I mean, you, you're going to touch him. Leprosy, you're not going to touch them. You're, you're not going to reach out and hold on to them. When I was in college, uh, I, didn't, I told you I grew up in the, in the southern gospel, southern church, whatever, and so everybody looked alike at church. Everybody dressed alike at church. Everybody talked alike at church. So I go to college in the major city of Jackson, Mississippi, and two of my buddies one day said, hey, um, you're going to go with us Sunday afternoon. You good with that? And I'm like, no, because I don't trust you. And uh, they're like, come on, go with us. Here's what they did. Took me to the middle of the hood, Jackson, Mississippi, okay? This little random white cinder block church. And none of them kids look like me. Now, I didn't grow up in a segregated area, okay? But this was different for a little white Southern Baptist boy, okay? Because I'm walking into a room, and they're like, hey, man, you're going to play kickball with these guys. I'm like, well, I can play kickball. And then when you get done with kickball, you're going to share the gospel with them. So we're playing kickball, sharing the gospel, you know, we do a little Bible study or whatever. And all of a sudden these kids start hugging me. They're hugging me, and I'm like, man, if this was happening in that crew, Mississippi, dude, they'd be going nuts. Why are you hugging those children? They're different color than you. They, they smell different than you. I'm like, wait a minute, this is 1999, just 2000. Why are we still talking about this? But see, it took two of my best friends to take me and say, here, Boom, I'll put you somewhere where you need to learn how to touch people and understand that it goes way beyond all that junk you've been taught all your life. Whether it was cultural or not, it was all wrong. And so they took me there. I mean, it just radically opened my eyes to understand the gospel. And so from that moment on, there's never been a person that I couldn't touch. That I couldn't shake their hand, couldn't love on them, couldn't get on the floor with them and wrestle around, whatever I needed to do. But I needed that moment for them to take me, put me so uncomfortable. Here's the deal. That may be what you need to do. Be a little uncomfortable. I'm not saying go crazy. Like, don't be breaking out into a sweat and making yourself vomit on the way over, okay? Don't tilt the world experiences. But maybe you need to just say hello. I'm the worst for this. I'll be walking to Walmart. I'm on a, I'm, I'm on a mission. My wife's like, have you seen your face? Like, what are you talking about? She's like, you're so determined. Like, you're just going to Walmart. I mean, like, because you go to Walmart to shop. I go to Walmart to get it over with, you know? And so I'm like, just like this. And she's like, people look at your face, and you're like, you're not very happy. I'm like, I'm plenty happy. I'm just trying to get out of here. And maybe you need to change your face. He's like, I'm happy. Man, you need to look at your face. It's not happy. Smile at people. Care about them. Touch them. Let's go to the last part. What does he tell them to do? Jesus warned them not to do this. And I gave you the reasons why likely to did this but let me, let me give you the bottom line warning from jesus the warning is that people are dying without christ and going to hell eternity the reason it's used eternity is because it lasts for eternity it doesn't stop people are dying without christ and they're, that's where they're going so the warning to us would be is you know what people need compassion because uh they're going to face god and they're going to have to give an account for their life and 
and they're going to be judged in that. And if they're without Christ, they're going to spend eternity in hell. And there's just no option there. There's no, hey, God, I, I really meant to, you know, there's not going to be none of that. And so the warning for us to be is, you know what, if, if Jesus can show compassion and Jesus can give the gospel, why can't we? Because we're going to interact with people every day, constantly, constantly interact with people who need Christ. The question comes down to, do we care? Do we care? We're walking by these people, do we care? Do we see them, and do we care? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, just learning about what it is that happened with Jesus in this interaction. God, in this room right now, there are people with all walks of life that, that come from all experiences, whether it's churched, unchurched, um, inner city, rural, whatever it is. Homes that are together, families that are tight, families that are split up, single parent homes, single parent moms. God, you know every situation in this room. You know that some people in this room need to be shown more compassion. They need compassion. May the, the people of Anthem Church show that to them, love on them, care for them, help them, provide needs, provide counsel, pray with them, disciple them. But God, we might be possibly, as we're going through this text, just sitting around going, you know what, I know this one guy, I know this one girl, I know this one family, I know my one neighbor. I pray we'd stop just agreeing and that we'd move. Because the people who need compassion need us to see them. Need us to see them more than just people who are without, people who struggle, people who are arrogant, people who are sinful. They need us to see them the way Christ sees them, with compassion. So may we do that, God. I thank you for the opportunity to stand one more time and sing praise unto you. But may the song not distract us. May nothing else that we do here today distract us from our response to your word. I thank you for the opportunity to serve you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.